I, I like this word. I've heard it a few times, um, but I never actually looked up the definition. It means generous or forgiving, especially toward a rival or less powerful person. I mean, I don't know about rival. <laughs> How about a less powerful person? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but rival? Um, you don't you have know? any rivals? Uh, do I have any rivals? I'm sure Doesn't I everybody do. have a nemesis in life? Uh, you know what? I, I have in the past, but my new MO, my new life goal is to make the weaker version of me my nemesis. The guy who says don't wake out, don't wake up to work out. The guy who says don't read an extra ten pages. The guy who says, you know, don't put in the extra effort. That's my nemesis. And if you beat that person, if you wake up and you beat that person every day, you're gonna do great things. This is like a self empowerment podcast now. <laughs> I'm full of that stuff. Yeah, we should. <laughs> That's our next podcast. All so, right, who do we got? Who do you have on the show today? Uh, James. So James is an incredible guy. He is a Guinness World Record holder. He's visited 196 countries and he's a, a former former investment banker turned CEO. So he's taken over 1500 flights on 270 plus airlines. And I didn't even know there it, were that many airlines. It, 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 his Instagram is filled with airline reviews. He's incredibly knowledgeable about the inner workings of each individual airline the way they treat people he's hilarious in that he dresses up in these really funny elaborate costumes and he gets into so he's not he's dressing up in these elaborate costumes and not getting in the coach he's going into like the ultra first class the stuff that you see <laughs> like the rock stars on with the beds and everything so He's an incredible way of traveling, really informative guy. This conversation, uh, it got into economics, it got into the airline industry, really insightful, kind of a different take of, than we're used to. It wasn't about a specific destination, but more about the travel industry as a whole. So I think a lot of good information in, in this Lots one of for good you. Information. So yeah, uh, before we get into that, the travel tip of the week, take a, an extra credit card and pack it in a safe place in case of an emergency. Huge, right? So you have your wallet, you have your cash, and you have maybe your primary card, but it is important to have the backup. Um, I think most people probably do this already, but if you don't, or if you were kind of on the fence about having to pack an extra card because you might lose it, I think it's still a good idea to have it as a contingency plan in the event you lose your primary wallet. So consider also, it. Yeah. To add on to that, Bob, I don't know mm -hmm. if you do this, but with most smartphones nowadays, you can add credit cards and payment methods to either Apple Pay or Google Pay. Right. And mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of places have started to accept that. And there are very few places now that I don't that I even need to bring a credit card. I can just use my phone. Yeah. The only thing I would say would be that's probably America and maybe Europe, right? Like yes. you're not going to get that service in Peru or Colombia. I mean, maybe, maybe it's certain places, certain westernized hotels, but yeah, that, that's a good idea if you're going to those really popular tourist destinations. You're going to Paris or Rome or New York or Tokyo. But yeah. All right. Uh, so that's it. Uh, just before we get into the conversation, check out some of the cool things that we offer. So first is the Traveler's Blueprint Travel Journal and Planner. It's perfect for those of you that like to keep record of everything. It offers tables for budget tracking, mindful travel tips, and details on how you can create your own itinerary layout. This planner can be downloaded through our website immediately upon purchase for you to fill out by hand, or you can fill it out on the computer, and it makes it just super easy to keep track of everything you need to plan the perfect trip, from confirmation numbers, general insight on the country you plan on traveling to, 
And then the back of it is just a bunch of pages for you to actually journal about your experience. So the best thing, you can print it over and over again, and it's on sale now for $7.99. That's it. You buy it once, and then you have it for every trip thereafter. Next up, we have the Traveler's Blueprint Video Tutorials, which is a five-part video class presented by an animated version of myself and Bob. The series is perfect to help you fill out the travel planner and journal with information and insight on how you can prepare for navigation, booking airfare, restaurant and blog research, itinerary layout, safety, local norms, and of course, being a thoughtful traveler. And that is available through our website for $25. It is a wonderful platform on Thinkific and you get to go through all the courses. Yeah, and so, and they, they pair up very nicely. So if you do get the journal, and then you pair that up with the video course, you'll essentially have everything you need to do this on your own. Plan your own trip, save a lot of money. Now, we take it a step further, and if you actually wanna sit down with me, one-on-one -on -one via Zoom, and go over the details of your trip, and I'm talking every aspect of your trip, from the dates you wanna fly out, how to save money on airfare, how to navigate the city, how to find the best restaurants, everything you could think of, I'll sit down with you and, and be essentially be your travel consultant and help you plan this trip down to every minuscule detail, if that's your thing, of course. So keep that in mind and check out our website for pricing details on that. And as you all know, Bob and I are either Philly local or appreciate Philly from a distance. And we have our very own tour guide, Keschler, who will hook you up with an incredible Philadelphia experience. He offers a variety of tours where you can uncover the little-known history of the city or chat down on some food and cheesesteaks tours. Keschler is offering two tours exclusively through the Traveler's Blueprint, and you can find them on our website. However, if you do want something a bit different, feel free to email us and we can look at changing up the itinerary with you. If you find this podcast entertaining, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you love us, or if you love at least one of us, we'd be forever grateful if you could subscribe to the show and share some of our social media posts as a story on Facebook or Instagram. Because remember, we post clips and images of these podcasts to our social media every week, and we encourage you to give us feedback and ask us any questions you may have for that conversation. Lastly, if you want to be on the show, you can join us and drop us a line for the Travel Around Table series. You can send us your name, website, and a few travel-related topics you'd enjoy discussing. Thank you for listening and enjoy this next podcast. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. James, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Good to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I understand you're in Los Angeles right now. Yeah, I have been here for a couple of days, been been in the US for about three weeks now. So uh, it's one of the easier places to move around, I guess, at the moment. Yep. Yep. Understood. Uh, well, we're excited to talk to you today. You have quite the extensive travel resume. You've been on countless number of flights. You hold the Guinness World Record for the youngest man to travel to 196, which we believe is the accurate number there, countries of the world. Uh, you are the founder of Holiday Swap, and we're excited to talk to you about your experiences, travel. Uh, you're a fairly young guy. Know how you were able to do all of this at such a young age, and then get into what you've been doing lately. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's talk. All right. So, so I guess the first question is, with the... With the Guinness World Record, how did you do it? You're the youngest man to get all of the countries listed. 
How did I do it? Well, like it's a, it's a strange point now because I think when I did it, which was 2013, was kind of when I got the, the record. Um, it was a bit new. It was a bit interesting. There wasn't really a record that I was chasing. There was an unofficial one that some guy was the youngest person to go to every country. I think it's about 37. But Guinness hadn't formally recognized anything. So I could do it at my own pace. It took me kind of about six years to do. Um, and I, I really didn't chase it. And, and since then, it was I, I shut off when, when the record came through. I had the press and the media and like 40,000 friend requests on Facebook in a day. I just deleted it all. I didn't want the attention. Wow. Um, because it was kind of cool and new at the time. And, and now you, you see kind of, you know, the, the youngest person from this country or this continent or the youngest person hopping around or the youngest couple or whatever it might be. Um, and it's kind of, everyone's seen it a bit now. Everyone's seen someone that's been to every country. Um, and I think that if, if people do it with a message, it's, it's interesting to me for sure. But um, it was nice that I could really genuinely do it. I never set out to do it at the start. I've probably been to maybe a hundred countries and I turn around and thought, wow, how many actually are there? Whereas now I, I get a lot of people that reach out, well, particularly during, before COVID, that will say, oh, I'm going to go and try and beat your record. I'm like, that's cool. But like, you know, don't ruin it and do it just for the sake of a record and go somewhere stamp in and stamp out. Yeah. Um, so it was nice that I wasn't really having to chase anything and that I, I set the record, I guess. So the first hundred that you were doing and then you realized, oh, how many actually are there? What was your purpose for travel at that point? I mean, I had no interest in it. I'd just been to a couple of places in Europe and uh, and Florida. That was that was all I've really travelled to. Um, and I went on a trip, volunteered out in Southeast Asia with a couple of my best friends. We did the classic Southeast Asian uh, backpacking loop around those countries, and uh, I, I caught the travel bug from that. I, I came back, I booked my first solo trip. I, I went out to the Middle East, and um, I just kind of went from there. And again, I was going to a lot of, I guess, off-piste countries to start with. Um, so my dad was a pilot for a small airline and uh, and I didn't do any of this sponsorship stuff. But yes, I got discounted tickets to where they flew. But it's not really that they flew anywhere interesting. They flew to Sierra Leone and Ethiopia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, just odd places, Iran as well, all direct from London. Um, so I'd been to a lot of unusual countries, we say, yeah, um, say, on kind of, you know, weekend trips. And, and by the time I got to 100 countries, you know, there were still so many, I guess, how would I term it? Uh, really big, you know, kind of tourist hotspot countries that I'd never been to or touched. So I think a lot of people would do it the other way around. And if they're oh, going to yeah. go and chase something, they've got these hard countries left at the end, whereas I'd, I'd kind of been to a lot of them. Um, so, yeah, I just I just picked up this travel bug and I loved kind of what it taught me, what it did. I barely turned, out, I turned up to university or college or whatever you want to term it. <laughs> um, after my first year, I was, I was just, you know, looking at a few lectures online. Um, actually, that's a complete lie. I didn't even do that. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, I just, it, genuinely, it was the best education I had. It, it taught me much more than a maths and economics degree ever did. Uh, and again, if I go back and meet 18 year old James, when he started traveling, I probably wouldn't like myself very much, this naive entitled guy. Um, and yeah, it taught me so much about the world and so much about myself. And that sounds like a cliche to say, but, but it really was the case. So I just kind of kept going with it. And now I'm, you know, I travel and I'm on the road more than I did when I was going to all these countries, because when I got to a certain point, you know, I run out of the money that I was uh, spending for it and racked up loads of credit card debt. And, and I got a, a job in finance and investment banking, which was good to kind of pay for, I guess, some of the more expensive countries towards the end. And, and what I mean by that is someone like Sudan, you know, getting an entry visa and the permits mm. and, you know, to stay in a semi safe hotel, should we say there, um, it, it's going to still be three, four hundred dollars a night. Um, and it's wow. expensive to do to, to get there and get all the papers and the documents. Um Obviously, you can do it cheaper, but uh, but a lot of these countries are expensive. So it was nice to work in finance 
you know, to kind of pay for those uh, those towards the end. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was just generally the best experience that I've I've ever had, and I'm kind of still able to to be lucky enough to live it in some ways today. Still, yeah, it's quite the journey. Yeah, I really like your perspective and what you said about doing it for, with a purpose, and you weren't just doing it to tick these you know, the notches on your belt or whatever, you know, term yeah. you want to use for that. We, we use that here at the Traveler's Blueprint. We call it the checklist traveler. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's stamped in, stamp out, foot yeah. in. And, you right. know, I, I've heard some awful stories about certain people who, you know, certainly not going to name names, but, you know, I, I've heard stories about people that would literally go to, well, actually the example that I'd say is a country called Tuvalu, one of my favorite countries in the world. I think it's the fourth smallest country. But when I flew there, actually, it was it was quite quite weird. They had the international dateline that cut through the countries in the South Pacific, like Tonga mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's very weird. They had flights that would take off at 11 p.m. And it was a two-hour flight into Ireland. And it would arrive plus two, two days later, because you crossed midnight and you crossed the international dateline. It was very weird. Wow. Um, and so Tuvalu, for example, I think they had more pre-COVID. Um, but when I went there, they had one flight a week. So I stayed there for a week and, and I loved it. And I was driving my little motorbike around the island and kind of got into the island, uh, you know, life. Uh, but I've heard stories of people that were doing that kind of checkpoints and checklist travel that would get their stamp in, go straight out of arrivals and back into departures and take that flight back and say, been to Tuvalu, thumbs up, um, which is just a bit unusual. But again, if that's someone's prerogative and they want to do that, then, then cool. But, uh, right. you know, I'm not sure that saying that then you've been to every country in the world uh, makes you the most traveled person. And even from my perspective, from the time I spent on the road, yeah, I'm probably one of the most traveled people now, but I wouldn't say I'm the expert of, you know, anything in some ways. I've got a bit of experience of everywhere, but, you know, there's going to be people that know almost any country or any place I've been way better than I do. Right, right. Yeah. And did you have specific criteria that you had to meet in order to consider it, you know, a country that you visited? For me, I spent at least one night in, in everywhere. And there, there were probably a handful of maybe five countries that I didn't spend a night. For example, like Vatican City, um, right, right, which I don't think yeah. you even can, or like Andorra, um, just tiny little the countries. The city-states, yeah. But, yeah, for, for, for most of the places, it was at least a night. And I think on average, um, over it, when I calculated it, was, it was between six to seven nights per country uh, is, is what I spent on average. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, so, I would like to see the the a defined Guinness World Record of like one week in every country. Yeah, yeah and, that'd and, be crazy. And in some ways, I think yeah, that's it would make things kind of a bit different. But you know, now it's uh, there's actually a guy, a really nice guy called Sam Hawthorne, that uh, he was trying to be the youngest guy to go to every country. Uh, and and again, I get a lot of people that kind of would approach and say, oh, I'm going to beat your record, which is cool. You know, I'm not going to lose sleep overnight records that they had to be beaten. But this guy, Sam, I met him in Qatar a couple of years ago and he approached me in, in such a great way. He was like, look, James, I was really inspired by what you did. I want to go and try and beat your record. Um, and I was like, look, if you need help with stuff, let me know. And I, and I was more than happy to, to help the guy because he just seemed like a genuine, great and nice guy. And you've always got to pass it on and pass it down. Mm-hmm. And it sucked so bad for him. I think he got to 180 something and was actually in Tonga in March last year and COVID uh, hit and he had until October last year and he had what on paper previously would have looked like some of the easiest countries, Australia, New Zealand to still yeah. go to, but they became some of the hardest with, with lockdowns during COVID. So he got so close, but um, you know, it's uh, it, it's, it's a, it's an interesting space, this kind of competitive travel side of things. Yeah. One that I kind of try and step back from a bit now. Yeah, and I mean, not to, it, in my perspective, the competitive travel sort of takes away from the purpose of travel. 
when it's Agreed. like broadening broadening horizons, coming together, meeting new people, and it, learning new things, and that competitiveness kind of takes away from that uh, keeping an open mind and learning. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And actually, I think interestingly, don't quote me on this, but I someone said to me that I think that Guinness have actually got rid of the record, now, like as in no one else can apply for it, because I think it just became stupid in terms of people competing and people, uh, you know, the, the documentation and stuff that you go through for it. And in some ways, that's kind of cool, because um, it shouldn't just be about stamping and, uh, and, and in and out. I think it's, uh, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, for sure. And and you continue to travel. And you, I think you were one of the first people on my feed to start traveling again after COVID kind of uh, the the initial reaction kind of settled down. It seemed like you jumped on a plane and, and you were traveling around. Can you bring us up to speed on what you've been doing, I guess, in 2020 as far as travel goes? Uh, yeah, 2020, a hundred and... 120 something flights i think in 2020 still for me so uh <laughs> that know, has even, to be a record <laughs> yeah, yeah even even during it, it was it was only april last year which was really the only month i didn't travel and actually i did do one flight for work but i didn't document it because that was literally full-on lockdown and it was private to be able to do so um but you know I've, I've been traveling through all of it it wasn't really a case of you know there was an opportunity and i jumped on a plane and traveled and went on on vacation i think i did that once last year you know it is all for work and i got asked by uh, the press the other week um, by a pretty big news channel they said look James you know why when other people are kind of not moving around and, and this is a problem in itself that people uh, now feel like they have a right to judge people for why they're traveling what they're doing what's essential purposes uh, which is just ridiculous um, but you know he turned around and said to me look you know why can't you do zoom calls on that and, and quite frankly I'm a bit old school in that sense and I just said and there wasn't really an answer that came from I just said look you know, I travel for the finance side of my company, which is kind of my background and, uh, and with investors and shareholders. And I said, would you go and write someone a $10 million check that you've never met and never looked in the eye? And there was kind of this radio silence. And the answer was, I mean, that answered it for me. Uh, but, you know, the, the realistic sense is, you know, we hire quite a lot of people over at Holiday Swap. Um, you know, a lot of them have families as well. And I'm not trying to play that in terms of the, the fiddle family card, like, oh, you know, you know, cry me a river. But the case is, I'm, I'm so proud to say that during the last year, we've actually net hired more people. We've grown um and not have That's to great. go and you know make people redundant uh, and we are there you know more so now by the day but you know we do actually genuinely solve a problem and make travel cheaper holidays what we take out the cost of accommodation and that's going to become more and more important for people now that people are able to travel because the realistic situation is people everyday people are really struggling with this um people are having to make it back you look in the u.s and you know, it's, it's almost quasi celebrated about rent holidays and stuff, but that's not free money. You know, people still have to pay that back. And this is going to affect people for a long, long time. You look, you walk down Main Street in Santa Monica here or parts of Manhattan and you've got 60, 70 percent of businesses, particularly small businesses that are shuttered and shuttered for good. Um, so, the, you know, the disparity is huge. Uh, the, the days are gone in some ways of people saying, oh, you know, what? I'll take that nice last minute trip, stick it on my Amex card. Uh, and I'll work another shift and pay it off because to get shifts for people to work overtime or whatever it is, um, is a big struggle now for people to do. Uh, the work simply for a lot of people isn't there. And so people have to think twice, which they didn't necessarily have to do before. So, you know, I, I'm proud of the fact that we're able to, to, to grow and do that and, and offer that to people. And quite frankly, you know, that does come down to having shareholders that come into our company, what we do. So that's, that's primarily what, uh, what I move around and uh, and travel for and look, I love it I wouldn't change it it motivates me being able to move around but 
I've taken 75 PCR tests. I've taken 150 flights in the last year now. I think 120 during 2020. Um, and, uh, and, you know, touch wood, I still haven't managed to, to catch COVID in, in that time. So, um, you know, it, it does also go to show in some ways that if you take some certain safety precautions, that's fine. And, and, and we do have, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear or if you can beat this out on the podcast, <laughs> but, you know, the thing that COVID has done is it's become very easy to tell who's an arsehole from it um, because people feel like they have their say and they're allowed to tell people what they should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, I actually saw a thread just before we, we came on this podcast of, of someone criticizing something to do with how people uh, were talking about Australians not being able to get home and how they're stranded. And they said, oh, you know, like we're in Western Australia and it's uh, one of the strongest economies in the world. Um, and, you know, we've got a relatively normal life because of how we've dealt with lockdown. And that's fine to say, but that's also privilege and entitlement on a whole new level to say it. Because if mm -hmm. you delve into Western Australia, they make 3% of their money from tourism and service industry in general. And most of it's from primary activity and mining. And that's great. But if you go to places in, in Asia or Egypt where the hustle economy and the tourist economy supports so many jobs, the tourist economy indirectly supports a billion jobs in the world nearly. Um, you know, you can't just, it, it's all very well for, to have all these celebrities back last March and April saying stay at home from their, their Beverly Hills mansions by their swimming pool. But what about people that work pay, paycheck to paycheck and people that literally might just be going and selling some crappy wooden souvenir on the street in India or in Egypt or somewhere to support and feed their family? So the, the problem is you have a lot of entitlement of people saying, I'll oh, just, just do that. But at the same time, every response to everything has to be proportionate. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, we, we, could, we could rant on about this, uh, this all day. But at the end of the day, you know, that kind of classic thing about being kind is, is one thing. But you don't know why people are moving around and doing stuff. Now, look, if you have a bunch of influencers that go in and partying it up on the beach in Tulum or Dubai and just showing off that, hey, look at me, you know, kind of thumbs up or middle fingers up to, to, to the rules that's a different story very different hopping on a plane because they might be doing anything you don't get to judge them if they're going to a family funeral or even you know what even a family event maybe they might have elderly parents they don't have much time left or whatever it might be the problem is you can't sit there and judge people and i think that it's got to a point where this not just you know this travel shaming but shaming in general where people think that they can ask people what they're doing um that's a real thing that kind of has to stop at this point yeah, that's one of the worst things about social media that rose with the the ability for people to, uh, I guess, accumulate and uh, yeah, give these Couch opinions critics. of people. Yeah, uh, without knowing anything about the person yep. or what they're doing. Exactly. And it, yeah, exactly. it's it, it's sad. I don't. Unfortunately, it's not going anywhere. Nothing's exactly. going to change. That that will always be. Well, to me, I, I equate it to you know being stuck in traffic and someone mm -hmm. cuts you off, and yeah, you get pissed off immediately because you're like, why did you cut me off? And then if you take a, a step back out of the situation, you're like, all right, maybe they're going to the hospital because there's a hospital right. down the road. You never know. And cool. I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think yeah. there's less of that happening. I, I agree. And even, even on social media myself, right? If I have someone, I don't know, in service or whatever, that's maybe they're awful on, on that day at their job. I'm never going to individually call someone out, and, you know, which I see from some people and saying, oh, you know, this particular person was, or, or you know, because it's easily trackable and traceable. And they might be having the worst day ever. They might be saying there's going on in their lives that you don't know. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely hear that. And again, I, I saw another message earlier this morning from, uh, I, I had a rubbish experience a couple of days ago on American Airlines flying through, the, you know, Orlando Airport is, totally the worst airport i've seen during covid really really bad 
And someone Florida. said, oh, do you know what air, air, airport staff have been through for the last year and yet you're just here complaining? And they said, you clearly don't follow me because for the last year, all I've done is praise airport staff and uh, crew and flight attendants. I even wrote to Congress about, uh, you know, when, when airline workers were furloughed. Um, but again, someone sees 2% of the story and says, oh, you're just complaining and moaning. It's like, you know, so what are you meant to sit here for your whole life and just be some positive Debbie that everything in the world is great, which is also false. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. staying staying with the airline, um, I guess, discussion, it, something that you do on your social media is critique airlines. It's really interesting and it's fun to follow. Your reviews are seem to be very well thought out and you put a lot of information and you put in, you know, your own experience and you back it up. Uh, most of the time, I don't want to say most of the time, but often you're traveling in a costume, which I find <laughs> hilarious too. What's the deal with that? Uh, it kind of comes down to the point as to why I'm completely honest. I, you know, I've never taken a single dollar from any airline. Um, and, and I'm not just kind of like proud of that, but in terms of there's too much sponsored content on social media, right? Anyone's going to sell out and do anything for a free ticket. And I see some God awful influencers that will sit there and say, Oh, look at, you know, Delta or American or United's cleaning programs, which is total horseshit. Sorry. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's just, anyone's going to say something for a free ticket or a free stay or whatever it is. And, and that's false marketing in itself. And so it's, it's at times I might appear like the most cynical guy that's flying in the air, but it's actually because I'm almost, I feel a responsibility to balance it out in some ways because I don't, you know, take sponsored deals or stuff from them. Um, and I'll also be quick to say when things are good and when, when people are getting it right and it's positive. Um, but the problem is on social media, you see 90% of it is positivity and it's false positivity and it's this toxic positivity is what I call it. Um, where, you know, you'll see saying, and, and the majority of people will say, oh, that's great. And it's not the truth. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of the things I saw back kind of in the middle of last year was certain, you know, influencers that were traveling for the first time which was scaremongering. They're like, oh, what it's really like to travel during COVID. You know, again, I'm not trying to show off, but at this point I've taken 40 flights plus probably during COVID and you could do things in a pretty safe way. And I saw these scaremongering posts of uh, influencers wearing hazmat suits and saying, basically get off the plane and burn your clothes and take a scalding hot shower to protect yourself because apparently you're walking into the most dangerous territory. The same as going to the supermarket, for goodness sake, right? It's, it's not different. You could go into all the details about HEPA, air filters and stuff on planes. So basically it started where I bought a NASA astronaut outfit because I thought that it looked a bit like a hazmat suit. And I was like, you know what? Like, <laughs> I'm just going to have a lighthearted approach just to make people see, look, this guy's traveling and it's not something to be super terrified of. I just have a laugh at myself and a laugh a little bit of the situation because there's so much negativity and doomsday stuff on the internet. I was like, if it makes a couple of people smile, that's great. And it made quite a few people smile and that was good. And I kind of just went from there and thought, let me be random and just randomly, if I'm there, sometimes pick up a pick up a costume and if I make a bunch of people smile that day, then that's great. Yeah. I do want to touch back on the uh, social media influence because we've had some pretty lengthy discussions on this show about the role travel influencers have on social media and sort of the, uh, I guess, their goal and their, I guess, reputation and their responsibility to try to provide real content. And we we actually had a four other people on the show with this panel specifically discussing is social media killing travel? And there are many false ratings out there, like you've mentioned, 
And it is it is up to the each individual viewer scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through Facebook to decide if that is real and to look into it further. Because you're right, anything could be paid and Instagram does not necessarily require you to show that it is a paid content or sponsored content. So the fact that you are taking it upon yourself to provide true constructive criticism of these airlines and you're not always doing negative reviews like you said you're praising the the staff of these airlines or at the airport so yeah it is good and bad and it is truthful yeah and and look you know there was uh, for example with emirates you know there was a lot of people that turned around and said there's this one particular aviation reviewer who's a bit of a sellout and uh, and when i criticized them there was uh, thousands of messages of people joking saying oh they're going to have to get this guy to do you know uh, some positive pr now to fix the damage that you've done kid you not two days later bang video comes out oh look here i am on the, it's and it's just so see-through and, and and really quite sad but you know look there are also people that do it in a great way in an educational way and a fair way and you know us at holiday swap as well when we've approached people to work within the influencer space you know we've had people that would turn around and say oh i won't do it unless i try the product and i'm like i have so much respect for that um, I really do. Whereas any, anyone's going to post something that they don't use um, for, for just, just to say it. There's actually one I saw a, a banking credit card recently, and that raises a whole other issue of, uh, you know, you are technically not allowed to sell financial products. I don't know how the SEC hasn't got onto that yet. But you see these influencers selling the, selling the card and you have to gen- you cannot just sell financial products to people. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, and rightly so. And I've seen a bunch of influencers just posting the same videos of this particular card out there. And I've asked a few of them that I know. I'm like, so tell me about the card. Like, do you use it? And they're like, no, I don't use it. I was like, that is shocking. Um, uh, really, really shocking. Uh, so, yeah, look, it's, um, it's a case of it can be good. But again, as you say, in terms of damaging it, I'd take the Maldives as an example. Um, you know, you see some particular influencers in these, the huge villas with slides. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, influencers are influencing other influencers only. You know, their marketing audience is not going to go and spend 20 grand a night on one of these villas. And of course, they're showing off the best of the best that they have. Mm-hmm. But that's not reality. And I've been in situations where I've also seen influencers running around like children, throwing their toys out the pram because the clouds and the sky and the sun wasn't good enough. And it's like also, you know, it's got to be reality at the same time. Um, and, and you get a point so with this Maldives example where you're going to see pictures. Are you ever going to see influencers posting pictures in the Maldives where it's stormy and rainy? Of course not. And if they need to, they'll probably edit the clouds in. And I've heard a lot of stories of that happening too. So what happens when your everyday person goes to the Maldives? And at the moment, the weather's pretty bad there because they've got some friends there. Um, and they go and it's rainy and storm. I mean, that's beautiful for me still. I'll, st- I'll sit under the porch with a glass of whiskey and do some work and watch the storm if I'm you know, in, in the warm rain, whatever, but that's, that's life that's celebrated and it's not always going to be perfect. And so you go and spend a ton of money going to the Maldives and it's cloudy for a few days. You're like, Oh, this isn't how it looked in the pictures. And obviously the pictures, even in landmarks, for example, in Europe, take Europe in summer, most of the time it's, it's crowded, really crowded. Like a lot of the pictures you might see at Pisa or the, you know, the Colosseum. Yeah. They're going to be the perfect angles. Maybe sometimes they're going to edit people out. I hear a lot of that as well. And then you're going to go there and there's going to be a big crowd and it's going to be hectic and people are going to be queuing up at a gelato stand, for example. And uh, and it's not going to look like it looked in, in the pictures. And some people might be disappointed. Whereas if you look at it from a different angle, you're like, actually, this is vibrant. This is busy. It's life. It's exciting. Um, so this kind of picture perfection is, uh, is, is largely damaging, I think, in some way. But I do think it's reached a point where it's not going to get worse because I do think, you know, overridingly, 
people and the majority of people do understand when something is too much and it's mm -hmm. become too much, I think. And, and I actually said this about a year and a half ago that I think that people want more reality. People, yeah, sure, do the beautiful pictures and beautiful content, but also show when things go right, when things go wrong in your life. And, and people want to see that because there's too much perfection on, on the internet. And it's, it's damaging. It's that toxic positivity um, yeah. that I talked about. And, and unfortunately, anything in life that's easy, uh, you know, you can go back to tulip mania when people were leaving their jobs, I think in the uh. 17, 1800s, you know, because they thought tulips were of certain value. Um, you know, it's the point of people like, oh, I want to be an influencer because I can travel the world for free and all I have to do is take a nice picture on the beach and then I get free whatever or pay whatever. And then when everyone tried to do it, um, it became different. Now, a lot of the people that I think are really influential on social media now, not influencers, but influential, um, you know, they, they do other, they might be a great photographer. Uh, they might, might have something going and they leverage that platform on social media to, to, to show it off but people know that they're not just you know you might turn around and see someone with you know five million followers is like oh you're a tiktoker and like and what does that what does that mean like what does right. it what does it do and i think that someone's like oh but like you know i'm a, a great photographer or you know i might be x y or z and i have all these followers as well which is kind of great to go with it but just to be an influencer um i think has kind of reached a reached a peak now and, and, you know, your everyday people um, who five years ago, I'd be like, oh, my God, an influencer. That's so cool. I think now it's like, oh, my God, an influencer. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think, hit a, a point where people have had enough of the kind of, yeah. Yeah, people want authenticity. And the, yeah, one, the one aspect of for, for countries that have valuable uh, I guess natural assets or cultures that what they want to share. It is it is important for them to be able to reach out to an influencer because it is the cheapest method of advertisement. It's like, hey, why don't you come and stay at, at in our country, in our city, in our little boutique motel or whatever, and share your experience. And I think it's up to those individual travel destinations, those hotels, motels. Obviously, they want to get the best reviews possible, but. I think part of it is also saying, hey, we want you to give a real review and not put yeah. it in the contract that you have to give us a five-star review. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you, and you want to look at multiple data points before you, you know, if you're trying to travel somewhere, you want to make sure that you use a few different sources and not just- Yeah, be being, a traveler, not a vacationer. Yeah. Do your research. Yeah, and, yeah, and it, 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 piece, a piece of advice that I like to give people, and I believe I've given it on the podcast, um, for every beautiful, perfect travel picture that you see, whether it's of the Coliseum or the Leaning Tower of Pisa or whatever it is, take that picture, and, and that is a beautiful picture, but then go to Google Earth and drop the little orange guy, the Street View guy, <laughs> right down in front of the monument, and then you'll see what it looks like in real time, at a point in time yeah. where all the crowds are there. And that actually is the most authentic way, or one yes. of the more authentic ways to actually <laughs> That's see what nice it's like. That's a nice tip. I like that. That's a good yeah. I'll use that tip next time. Drop it in front of the Mona Lisa and you'll see. Yeah, you can. It's just a, a sea of people. Uh, it's it's great. Yeah, it's a pretty yeah. unique way to, to get that <laughs> real, yeah. actual, uh, yeah, point that in time. Perspective, yeah. So yeah. we've talked, you've mentioned Holiday Swap a few times. We mentioned it in the beginning. Let's talk about it. So can you explain a little bit of what Holiday Swap is? Yeah, it's, it's just a pure exchange platform where people exchange their homes. The, we, we get called all sorts. The film The Holiday we get compared to or we get called The Travel Tinder. People match up based on their, <laughs> on their homes and, uh, and, and they essentially don't pay for 
uh, accommodation with it. Um, you know, it's a small subscription fee a year, $60, and or you could just actually pay as you go along, which is a dollar a night as well. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've got a, a one-bed apartment in Manhattan, for example, that's pretty hot property. But the problem is with the traditional Airbnb, whatever that platform's called, um, you know, you, you most people can't actually put their place on there. And so you have a huge amount of users, but very few hosts. And the hosts are the people with the money that own the properties because subletting is mostly illegal. Um, whereas with us, because no money is exchanged between users, it's literally people matching up based on, hey, like, you know, I like that place, your place, and you like mine, let's like kind of exchange. Um, it's, it's very simple. And it's based on that. And it's something that, you know, it's taken few years to get to this point because we to, for it to be relevant we needed to be kind of like everywhere in, in every country because yeah. you know you might search for madrid and you know bob might search for barcelona and we need to be relevant in both all and and, and everywhere because it's essentially a network so yeah at the, at the very core the biggest cost of travel is accommodation and we're trying to take that out particularly for millennials college students younger people um and uh, and allow people to actually say instead of looking at someone saying oh the flight costs this much you know, to stay somewhere cost this much by taking that out, it actually opens up a lot more kind of opportunities for people. And, and it's exciting as well, I think, because, you know, you might be searching and saying, oh, I want to find a place in New York or in Sydney for later next year. But then at the same time, you know, your profile and your place is up there and someone in Cape Town or Rio might kind of find you and you say, oh, actually, yeah, that's a really cool place. I might go there next year, for example. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a network and it's uh, it's kind of true sharing economy. And uh, I always wanted to do something in the travel industry from kind of after the record but i never really had the, the right idea until this hit home and uh and yeah we're three and a half years in now okay we had we had a guest on maybe a year ago bob kelly hayes right yeah. mm -hmm. um she is her blog her platform is the house sit diva and she she i guess pushes the idea of house sitting abroad yep. so it's not quite the same as you know holiday swap but no, it, 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 I mean, it, house sitting is, is in some ways. Yeah. And it's something that I've heard a lot more of, like that has become really, really popular um, because, yeah, if you I mean, I think it's mostly for people that either have pets mm -hmm. um, or for people that probably have nice homes that want someone in that home yes. rather than being vacant for a week or two. So yep. it's becoming very, very popular. But it's still kind of, I think, quite a niche market yeah. for, uh, for, for a lot of people to be able to do. And then, you know, the, the big thing is it's obviously a lot based on kind of reviews and trustworthiness to have someone, you know, uh, doing that, especially if it is higher end homes. Yeah. And it, it to me, to me, holiday swap is more of like, I guess maybe house sitting is more like couch surfing and you, you have it, to have those trustworthy reviews. You have to be established. But then the holiday swap is you really are just matching up with someone where you want to you know, you, you have, do you have to have the same timeline of like, all right, I'm going to be no, gone no, for a week. It's, it, I mean, that's the very core of it. People swap directly in those times, but, but it's also, I guess, liquidity in the property market. You could stay with me. I might be somewhere else on like, you know, in the Maldives in a hotel, the Maldives is one market we'll never break into because most of the supply in the Maldives is in Malay. And most people want to go and stay on a little desert Island hotel in the Maldives. Um, whereas everywhere else we're in 185 countries elsewhere. And, it's a case of I might be somewhere else or I might have a second home or whatever it is. And I say, I'll come stay on you with you at different dates or I'll stay with someone else while you're at mine instead, for example. So you can okay. host and do that by giving up your place. You get a place basically. So do you um, always with holiday swap, do you actually leave your home if someone's staying with you or could you stay and be like an Airbnb host? It could, it could be whatever you want it to be. It's completely up to the user. You might have a spare room. Uh, some people put a room on there. I mean, we have people that put boats on there even. Uh, we oh, had wow. someone that put a bubble up there uh, in, where was the bubble? 
I did, you know, like those little bubble houses yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. recently, which, which I got away, sent, which was somewhere. pretty cool. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, I know exactly, I yeah. think it's in the Scandi Nordic countries, but no, it wasn't. Um, I forget where it was. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be whatever you want. So I always kind of look at it in terms of on one end of the scale, it's like much cheaper than Airbnb. And on the bottom end of the scale, it's kind of like, you know, couch surfing, but on steroids, rather than going mm-hmm. and staying on someone's couch, you can stay in like an apartment or a house that's similar to yours. Um, or you could even stay on a couch if someone just puts up a couch there. So it's whatever you want it to be as the user. Do you, is there a certain criteria in order to, to get your house a, approved or is there some sort of approval process? Do you, if somewhere, if someone were to put their house up in a uh, undesirable area, do you let them know like, hey, you know, no one's coming to rent your house? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, everyone can put their house up and obviously, you know, there are undesirable areas. I spent a lot of, uh, when I was younger, living in uh, undesirable areas, we say. Uh, you know, we don't want to cut people off because of, you know, where they live. And, and for some people, that's reality. And, uh, you know, someone might, if you want to term it like that, swap with someone from one undesirable area to another undesirable area. So <laughs> it, it's whatever you want it to be. And, okay. um, you know, so in, in that sense, it does get looked at by our team and, and manually vetted. Uh, but, you know, in the sense of, you know, we encourage and want everyone and anyone to put their places up. It's, you know, not just, you know, kind of one bedroom studios. It could be three bedroom, four bedroom villas with a pool. Um, and uh, and it could be for anyone and everyone. So with with Airbnb and hotels, you obviously have some securities that help protect you and the homeowner. So the homeowner and the people traveling to the home. Um, does Holiday Swap have that kind of assurance when you're traveling? Yeah, we we have an insurance included, which logistically having that in 185 countries was a nightmare to set up. But yeah. we have that included for like damages, even for cancellation, and we've actually just included COVID protection through to the end of 2022 on it. If you know if you need to cancel because of set with COVID, which is a big kind of move for us too, I think. Yeah. Um, so we have that included to make people safer. There's obviously reviews and stuff on there, but you know the the honest and realistic answer. Uh, you know, similar like any sharing economy platform like an Uber or an Airbnb is there will always be a very small percentage of things that doesn't work out because you're dealing with other humans. Uh, you know, you can always have some absolute, you know, crazy that picks you up in an Uber, for example. Um, you know, you can't vouch for everyone having the same high quality of driving or whatever it might be. Or uh, So, you know, in that sense, you know, the whole point of the sharing economy is it makes things more simple. It certainly saves money, which we do. Um, and, uh, and, and with that, we've got hopefully everything we need to make it as safe and, uh, and, and comfortable as it possibly can. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. We're gonna have to check it out for my next trip whenever that is. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully this year, I think this hopefully year, this yeah. year. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm pretty positive. Like start a full late end of summer. I'm starting to think things will, will move along a lot more, but you know, even for us, for example, we are not necessarily trying to send someone from LA to London. Um, even though people do. You know, we're we're more kind of doing, say, Connecticut to New York City or, um, you know, Boston to to Philly, for example. Okay. Uh, we, we kind of push domestic staycation, stuff like that a lot because, you know, people that want to save on accommodation, you know, there's a lot more that could potentially go wrong if you're flying and going the other side of the world. It's more kind of maybe you're, you're changing the city one weekend for the countryside and vice versa and whatever that might be. Um so, you know, domestic is really kind of a person that's also largely been a function of the last year um, is that we kind of have wanted to push the staycation domestic side of rather international. And, you know, I've said a few times recently, I don't think that international travel is going to re- recover for another four to five years to the levels wow. we saw 
pre-pandemic. Um, but I think that domestic staycations, I really think that they change. And, 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 you know, you see that with airlines in the US, they've changed a lot of their route schedules over the last couple of months to really fly to places in nature, national parks, sunshine yeah. destinations domestically, the Puerto Rico's, Hawaii, Florida, and then, you know, national parks as well. And I think that it's really going to be kind of a shift in terms of where people go and what they want to do. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty interesting. And so uh, one question, and then okay, I want to ask you about COVID travel and if you have any tips, but in order to use Holiday Swap, do you actually have to have your place up there or could you use it without having your own house? Or, no, you, you have to have your place, but you okay. can also be in a situation where someone offers to host you because they're staying somewhere else. But your profile is basically your place. It's That's why with the travel Tinder, instead of it being you and your face or whatever, it's your place <laughs> and apartment because you know we have to keep supply and demand even on the platform. We kind of have a situation where everyone wants to put their place on Airbnb because they can make money and then everyone, all the demand is on holiday swap because it's it's such good value and so cheap. So it really is share and economy. It's, it's based vice versa. Okay. Pretty interesting. And, and so now moving to travel, uh, as you've mentioned, you, you've been traveling for business and, and um, this year. Do you have any insight that you want to provide the listeners if maybe... Uh, like hands-on experience on how to... A, protect yourself, feel more comfortable traveling and just do it better. Yeah. I mean, like, the, you know, traveling in the US is, is, is a big problem. And that's one because on most of my flights and international flights, which is where I've traveled a lot, uh, you know, everyone needs, for particularly moving international, a negative PCR test. Now, that's not an exact science either because it's 72 hours before and, you know, you can go and interact before then and it's not exact either. And I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to get into those details. But you feel a lot safer in that environment. Um, there's some great business and first class fares at the moment. So I'd certainly suggest looking at those to distance yourself from a, from a plane. But again, a lot of U.S. carriers made a big PR hoo-ha about, oh, we've, we've got middle seats blocked out. And then most of them now have just said, oh, screw it, you know, whatever, we'll just fill and overbook the planes just pre-pandemic levels, uh, which is what I've witnessed recently as well. Now, obviously, moving around in the U.S., mostly most people won't be on that flight with a PCR test. Um, so it's a little bit more concerning moving around in the US than internationally. Most flights internationally, particularly sat in business in the first, I've not had a worry at all. I'm pretty confident that most of the plane is safe. Um, I'm pretty confident that there is social distancing going on. Um, I, it's not the same for the majority of parts of the US, which is a shame at this point. And I know there's been rumblings about needing PCR tests for domestic travel. Uh, the logistics of that will probably be a nightmare but I think that it should be done in my personal opinion. But then again, we can get into a whole different topic about healthcare in this country and how damn difficult it is to get a PCR test and expensive in this country. And it's shocking. It's genuinely shocking. Uh, you know, I, I've been to Ghana and Ethiopia during this pandemic and it's so easy to get it done and so reasonably priced where it's just a money-making tool in the USA and in the UK as well. The UK is shocking to get a PCR test as well as New York City. New York City is so hard to. California is a bit easier. Um, but it's it's embarrassing, quite frankly. It's embarrassing that two countries, and I'm from the UK originally, um, it's so difficult to get because if it was easier, more people would want to do it and be able to do it. Um, you know, and, and right now you're in a situation where someone's going to have to pay 200 even $250 for a PCR test uh, uh, where they might think, oh, well, I'm not paying that. I'll just screw it, risk it, whatever. Um, and and so that that needs to change. But the majority of the time, yeah, in, in, in terms of in terms of moving around, look, you've got as much chance probably of catching this if you go and sit in an indoor restaurant or uh, mm -hmm. go to a supermarket. And I try and distance myself as much as I can um, from anyone in any situation. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I think that things are looking positive. You can look at rates of vaccines now. And, and I do think that towards the end of summer, things will be pretty good. And I said back in January on a few interviews, um, you know, when I was in the UK and over, over December and the start of January, the UK was plague island and, you know, 61,000 cases a day in the UK yeah. and they got it wrong. They just screwed up. Um, and it was, you know, being banned from traveling to Europe, et cetera, from there. And I said then, with you know, when you started looking at the early vaccine numbers, how I think that the UK by, by kind of May, June is going to be one of the better countries to be in. And now it's, I think that yesterday it's like 10 deaths a day from COVID in the UK um, because they've made that big push. And you're going to have to have sacrifices for that, which is what comes to international travel. I think that there's a big optimism in the UK that, you know, once it keeps improving, uh, that, oh, we can have summer holidays. Uh, I disagree. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think people are going to find out that if you want things open, if you want to go sit in a beer garden over summer and see your family and have restaurants open and have a relatively normal life, like is the case in Australia, you're going to have to close off a lot of your borders and it's going to be quarantine when you come back and it's going to be more difficult to move internationally because if you go to other countries that haven't dealt with it as well and haven't vaccinated as well, then you're just, you know, it's the same thing as uh, it's the equivalent of having a pissing section in a swimming pool. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just not... Uh, not feasible and going to work but you know you, you get a lot of benefits in terms of what people don't have now and if someone says you know california for example if someone says oh you know what like stay in california for example or in the u.s just using california as if it was a country um most things will be open late summer but moving internationally is going to be hard i think everyone will take that um if everyone says oh we might have flip-flop back between restrictions and no notice but yeah go screw it go on your little holiday to tulum uh, I think that people would rather have the former and have that relatively normal life because at the moment, going out around the corner to a restaurant and sitting at a bar stool and being able to see your friends and family is a great thing for most people, which most people would be missing. Oh, yeah. So people would take that. Yeah, it's the little things at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to be able to sit in a coffee shop and exactly. enjoy my coffee. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. So as far as the actual visiting of countries has that changed in a significant way? And what are some of the, I guess, more interesting things that you've seen over your travels? Or even had to jump through? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's been difficult in some parts, but not that it's difficult. I seem to have followed around where these super strains are coming from. I was in South Africa when that got <laughs> shut off to the whole world. You, there were did, four countries. I do you think you've been following Africa. or leading? <laughs> I, well either way some people have said it's it's either way so i have no idea um but yeah that was that was pretty weird being in south africa when literally everyone cut off flights and the four countries i could go to one was afghanistan which i couldn't get i would have genuinely gone uh it's a beautiful country but uh there's no embassy in south africa so i couldn't get a visa the other was central african republic and by god i hate that country it, it really isn't a good country and i don't say i hate many countries but CAR was awful when I went there and it's, you know, there's a coup going on or something right now. The, the capital has been closed off. It's really bad. Um, the third was uh, Serbia, which I couldn't actually, all flights were full. And the fourth was obviously back to the UK via somewhere else because I can get back to the UK because that's where my passport's from. Um, so it was very, very odd having the whole world shut in on you when you're there because of that strain. Uh, I guess that's one of the weirder things that I saw and experienced, but you know, you just kind of go with it and um, you expect things to change at a moment's notice. And if I am moving around and I'm on flights, I'm moving internationally, um, I don't expect any sympathy because things could very well go wrong for me. And, and if they do, then they do. And I deal with it. So 
When you've been traveling, I guess, over the last year or so, we've already talked that you've gotten some backlash from traveling and you've said yourself that you take precaution. You know that traveling is, it is risky from that perspective, but it's not necessarily more risky than going to your local restaurant and dining indoors. Um, you've had probably the most travel experience of any modern person, unless you're a flight attendant. So you've had that ability to actually provide real reviews on flights because as a flight attendant, you're the one providing the experience, you're the pilot, you're whatever. Um, I mean, it's just, you've had so much travel knowledge in such a short amount of time. It's pretty incredible. What do you see from the recreational side of international travel to the business side of international travel? When do you see business picking up? Recreational, um, I think it's going to pick up, but again, in a local and, and regional kind of way. Um, and I think that's, there's a large amount of pent up demand for that. Okay. Business, I don't think it is going to. Um, nowhere near, I don't think you're ever going to see the levels you saw before and technology already started pulling back on that. And businesses in general are largely struggling a lot. Uh, I, I don't think that someone taking a business class trip and a little jolly up on the company account is going to be something that's going to happen more. And, you know, Zoom meetings and stuff are going to be a lot more common for that. And you, you've got work from home even into next year for some of the bigger tech companies. Um, so, you know, it is going to change the way that people work and travel for business 100%. Recreational wise, it's never going to change. And it's the one thing that technology can't change. And I heard, you know, I got asked some stuff back in April and May last year about, oh, what do you think of these virtual reality tours that you can do? And I was like, please get lost. Like, <laughs> there are some things in life that tech are great for, but I'm sorry, like, you know, I'm not going to go and view something on the screen. I want to feel it, hear it, smell it, like experience it, see the people interact with them and most importantly support them for their businesses as well um so yeah like you know even if you come in from the city to uh, or the countryside to the city or the suburbs of the city for dinner on date night for example that's tourism it's indirectly tourism mm -hmm. you go and eat out and go to a bar or even a coffee shop and you go and say oh i'm going to go drive that's still tourism and so it's naive for people to think that you can just shut that off and um and say oh we'll wait for government support to bail us out yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see it going back. Recreational travel going back quickly, quickly. Going back though to the business travel, I agree with you, uh, and I worry for airlines and car rental companies, and the, the you know those industries essentially value that those business those corporate accounts, and I don't see business travel really having a big future. Uh, and I guess that means that some airlines and some car rental companies may may not make it. Do you agree with that? Well, yeah, in some ways, look, I mean, car rental companies were inherently bankrupt from the core, you know, five to 10 years ago anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, in that sense, they, they weren't really kind of going anywhere. And I speak from, you know, when I was an investment banker and used to, to, to trade a lot of the companies in these sectors. Um, from the airline point of view, for some, it's going to be very beneficial. For others, it's it's terminal. And if you look at countries that have one core incumbent national airline, uh, it's actually a good thing, medium to long term for them. Um, whereas if there's secondary and third airlines, it's difficult. Now, if I look at the UK, Virgin Atlantic are struggling big time. They're, they've never been a big airline. They're quite small, whereas British Airways 
um, will use this to their benefit. Now, airlines have been wanting to deunionize and take away a lot of power from the employees for years. And COVID's been that excuse. They've wanted to cut costs for years. COVID's been that excuse. So they'll just sit there and basically, you know, be bailed out by governments for a while. And then when they do come back into it, it's very largely going to be a case of they've restructured massively, restructured their cost base, and they can benefit from it. But the demand from the business travel point of view isn't going to be there. And, and inherently, every US major airline is bankrupt. Their net value is negative. Their value of their loyalty programs is what brings the value to them. You know, Delta has a, has a valuation of $20 billion um, and its loyalty program is worth $24 billion, which means that the airline itself is, is minus $4 billion. It's basically flying around some metal, metal cans with passengers in to facilitate a fintech company, which is how all the American carriers now make money. You will never, I, I've seen flights where the first class, which is a joke to call it that in this country, where the first class cabin is full and economy has three passengers in it because everyone's on an upgrade list and getting free upgrades and people that could pay for it wouldn't because one, the product's crap and isn't good enough to justify paying for first class. And two, they're going to try and use their status and loyalty to get it anyway. Why would you go and pay cash for first class in this country when it doesn't give you lounge access? You get a miserable experience post-flight and pre-flight and the food and the beverage and stuff isn't really any good on the flight anyway. Sure, you get a slightly bigger seat on most of these flights, but it's pretty rubbish. And so what's happened in this country particularly is that the, the, the experience for the first class and business passenger, which is where most other airlines make their margins, um, is so poor now that no one will pay for it. But where they will pay for it, which the consumer doesn't directly realize, is through signing up for credit cards with those airlines. They're fintech companies. Again, you know, Delta just renewed their, their, their partnership with uh, Amex till 2029. It's worth $3.8 billion a year, that partnership, for another eight years. Um, that's where these airlines are making money. Uh, so, you know, in terms of they don't care really about what the experience is for the passenger. As long as they shovel passengers from A to B and probably via C in most cases, because it's still hub and spoke, then, uh, you know, it works for them. Um, elsewhere in the world, what you're going to see, at least that does still have competition and choice in the, in, the, in the US, though. You know, you have four major airlines here. The likes of Frontier and Spirit going to struggle big time. Uh, consumers are going to pay more. The second golden age of travel has just been and gone is the reality. Some of these really nice, amazing first-class seats on A380s that you see, they're gone. Almost every airline except Emirates is retiring their A380. Emirates have to keep it because it, it beat at its chest and said, look at us, we got the two biggest planes in our fleet only. And they're going to fly those A380s probably 50 to 60% full for the next year or two. Um, and they don't have a choice in that, whereas every other airline has retired all, if not most, of their A380s because they can't justify flying them. Now, those nice suites or showers on board, the top product that people would have paid high dollar for are gone. Um, however, in most other countries, you have an incumbent. Germany, Lufthansa, there's no real competition. France, Air France, no real competition. Iberia and Spain, no competition. So, you know, what you had is smaller airlines like Norwegian. Norwegian Airlines basically were great. They, had, they, they made sure that the carriers on both sides of the Atlantic had lower competitive prices. And they brought down the cost of economy fares for American, Delta, United, British Airways, Lufthansa, all of them over the last five to seven years because they had these cheap fares, $99 one way across the Atlantic. Norwegian's gone. They're done. And they, they, they cannot be sustained. And so the competition cannot and now can't come into it because of what's happened. So you get this consolidation in the aviation business, which is going to happen more. 
Um, you know, you're probably going to see, for example, Alaska get bought by American and be fully integrated into one world. That's another carrier gone, like US Airways a few years ago. Um, so you've got less competition, you're going to get higher prices because these airlines are going to damn well make sure they find their way to make back some of this money. Yeah. Yeah, the, the consumer experience has seemed to gone downhill and it doesn't seem like it's going to be going back up anytime no. soon. No. No, that's sad. That's huh. very sad. That, that, was, that was pretty insightful. Thanks thanks for that. That's, that's yeah. really interesting. <laughs> and, and, and that's sort of your, your I don't know if that's your, is it your expertise? Is that something that you're, I, mean, I know you're passionate about that, but you do tend to, going back to your Instagram, put a lot of effort into reviewing these airlines and you really analyze them in, in Beyond a way face that, value, more into like their financials. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I used to deal with their financials quite a lot when I worked in banking. So I'm kind of aware of that, but I just, I'm a, I'm a bit of a geek with it. I love kind of looking into it. And, and it, it actually doesn't come with much effort what I do on Instagram. I just kind of live and breathe it and think about it. And obviously now, you know, um, have a company in travel and tourism and tech as well. So I'm always kind of living and breathing it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that insight. That's probably more more info on airlines than I probably would have ever received from <laughs> doing my own research. Yeah. Awesome. Huh. huh. I'm, I'm going to have to re-listen to that again. I, I know. I know. I'm trying to think. Just, just um, go back again. I want to yeah. pull more out of you, but I don't. I don't even know enough to to. Uh, ask the right question. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap it up in a minute, guys. I've got uh, got to run to meetings, but uh, you know, you can you can ask more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, just well, email me. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that because we do what we didn't do, and we'll get into this segment now. Is we we have a rapid fire section that we ask every guest the same ten questions, and what we do, Bob and I will alternate. We'll ask you. You'll Ideally, think of it or respond as quickly as you can. Some of them are a little more difficult, so you can take your time. Um, all right, Bob, you want to get it started? Yeah. James, what's the worst word that, wor first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Influencer. Hmm. All right. What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Laundry. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? chocolate uh, probably like melted a, like a yeah. chocolate river like the one in uh <laughs> yeah willy wonka yeah there you go actually no i take it back champagne Ooh, did someone someone else just said that one did they <laughs> yeah we just had that uh and i think that is also a phenomenal phenomenal <laughs> choice i always wondered about the bubbles if you would sink more Oh, interesting. Could be some Red Sea effect, though. The anti-Red Sea, where you it yeah. to the float. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you, I don't know if you've seen these videos where you like aerate sand and sand basically <laughs> becomes like a liquid and you just fall yeah, right yeah, in. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, number four, what travel book had the biggest influence on your life? The beach. The mm. beach. Yeah. Mm. Uh, where are we here? Say hello in your favorite language. Hello. All right. Yeah, that's a first. That Everybody always life. tries to think of yeah, different yeah. different language. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? Uh, my parents. What is one item remaining on your bucket list? Do travel or personal? Do it Do again. It all again. 
do it yep. again. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm having, like, every time I go, you know, like, I, I remember when I first went to Sydney, I loved it, loved the city. And I, I've been back to Sydney maybe six times since. Every time I went back, I progressively liked it less and less to the point where I really did not like Sydney. Uh, and then I went oh. back there about a year and a half ago and I re fell back in love with it. And it's amazing as I change, things in my life change and you just get a different perception of things. So it's never the same. Um, never. You know, yeah. and, and it's the same answer I give people when someone will say, oh, like, you know, come look at my local beach or waterfall. I'm sure, James, that you've seen way better beach or waterfalls. And I'm like, no, no, let me just stop you. I, I genuinely don't look at things like that because if I rate things in terms of best beach, best experience, I want to do this, this, this on my bucket list. I'm not going to appreciate it for the moment that it is. And I genuinely think that. A beach is a beach and it can be beautiful. It can be cloudy. It can be whatever. A waterfall is still an amazing feature. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, but it's no Niagara Falls, is it? And also <laughs> Niagara Falls is a bit a bit trashy with what's happened around there. Fozig Uazu, however, uh, between Brazil and Argentina is absolutely stunning and incredible. But I'm not going to compare every waterfall to it. It's You know, I kind of rate it in its own day and situation. And so, yeah, there's um, that's, a lot that's... more to come. Yeah, that's really important. And, and very quickly, that's uh, I, I listened to a good analogy of a wine connoisseur. The wine connoisseurs, they they learn to know the best and they only can therefore appreciate the best. You, a wine connoisseur is not going to enjoy the little homemade wines and they've eliminated the ability to take enjoyment in some of the little things because yep. they've put so much effort into only feeling good about having yep. the best. And uh, yeah, and, and it's important to, to not necessarily do that. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I've, th I've thought about that before because I've traveled when I was younger in college. And if I went to those same exact places, the experience I would have now as uh, someone 10 years older would be vastly different than what it was when I went. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Number eight. This is a fun one, I think. Uh, if you could pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would you choose? Ryan Reynolds. Good nice, choice. My nice, wife would approve. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see Leonardo DiCaprio. You kind of give up, uh, like, catch me if you can vibes. You know, he's ah, <laughs> yeah. running around yeah. the airports and stuff. Uh, okay. If you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? Hong Kong. Nice, nice. Why Hong Kong? Uh, safest big city I know. And again, as I get older, I appreciate just being in a nice environment that's safe. Genuinely, there is no big city that's as safe as Hong Kong. Obviously, yeah, stuff goes on, but relatively to a lot of other places it's great um it's a hub of you know it's it's just a, a great hub you, you can feel you've got an asian side you've got a western side amazing food everywhere and just a vibe i love cities where if i wanted to at 2 a.m and i can't sleep and i always have calls all weird times through the world um if i'm like hey like let me go sit in a coffee shop or something i don't want to like walk down ghost town streets because quite frankly now anyone can be up at any hour and time and uh, and i just love the 24-hour vibe Hmm. Yeah, I, I I did just watch Hong Kong get completely destroyed by King Kong and Godzilla, so I don't know how safe it it, it truly is to a yeah, there's giant always, monster. They, there's always the bigger. threat of Godzilla. <laughs> Why do they keep? I remember back in the day, those guys used to be like I don't know, three stories tall was Hong oh, Kong, yeah. and now he's like the size of a building. Yeah. So yeah. my 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 nerd is going to come out a little eating? bit. So I don't know. I don't know if you saw like the most recent Kong, which was sorry, not the most recent, but the newest version that came the out Skull like two thousand six. Mm -hmm. with jack black kong was like adolescent supposedly in that timeline and then in the second one kong skull island he actually got bigger and now he is his biggest form yet which is why if you looked at if you compared kong with jack black in 2006 to godzilla he's like 
you know, 150 feet shorter. Yeah. <laughs> now he's about the same size as Godzilla. Some good old tongue okay. Godzilla. I will, I will notice that on the next one. Yeah, I yeah. have not <laughs> seen it yet, but I will most certainly be watching it. All right. And then last right. question. Last question. What is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago? Fuck it. <laughs> just go Fuck for it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Int- <laughs> just, just, just go for it. As long as your morals and, you know, just what you're trying to achieve is in the right place. And you're not just like, oh, screw it. Like, I don't care about anything. Like you're, you're there with integrity. Just, just do it because it's so crazy to, you know, when you care about the little things when you're 13 years old at school and, you know, people say, oh, like you're not really going to care when you're older or care what those people think. And you don't, it's just pathetic <laughs> looking back when the little things that you cared about. And, and even now, like, you know, the things that, that could bother you or whatever it is, if you're not actually, you know, if, you're, if your mindset and integrity and morals are in the right place, then just do it. And not only just do it, like it's, you know, moving away from a, a nice paid job in investment banking to start my company was a, was a scary move. And it's one I didn't put any thought into because I knew what I wanted to do. And I knew that I was going to do it through the hard times to get there. And so I just did it. Nice. Yeah. All right. And uh, yeah, but, and before you go, uh, what is your Instagram handle? Uh, just my name, James Asquith. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. We'll have it in the show notes. Yep. Thank and you we'll have holidayswap.com on there. We've got a, we got a few other items in there. Because do you have a YouTube channel? Yeah, YouTube, I've been pushing a bit more. I've been having a lot of fun with that, much more than Instagram, um, yeah. because it's actually kind of able to make some more, I guess, constructive videos rather than just messing around on stories as I'm on a plane. So yeah, just, just my name on, on YouTube as well. Perfect. Yeah. All right, James. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, Yeah, really enjoyed that, guys. Thanks a lot. You take care. Yeah. Yeah, you too. too. James, I think he's an encyclopedia of travel knowledge, and I think when you mix his travel experience, Encyclopedia Asquith. There you go. There you go. And and it's got a nice ring. When you mix his travel experience with his past in finances, you get this really interesting financial analysis of the travel industry and again i know i said this in the intro but it's like this was a pretty unique conversation for us and i really liked it i mean we're both interested in finances and the inner workings of these co-corporations that we follow that we that we deal with all the time and this was a pretty neat way to have a conversation yeah i'll be curious to see some of his predictions on how covid will pan out and how soon travel will return to a state of normalcy or if it ever does yeah, you know what I want him to do? I want him to start like a Twitter page where he just tells me what stocks to invest in in the travel industry. <laughs> There's a website for that. It's called Motley Fool. Yeah, no, I know. They're very expensive, <laughs> though, for that daily report. I've looked into it. It's like 200 bucks a month or something. So Thanks. That's, that's great. <laughs> All, All right. right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And it's still listening at this point in the conversation. If you love the show, please consider giving us a rating on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you listen on. Or if you want to support us financially, you can do it through Patreon, which you can find by searching for the Traveler's Blueprint on Patreon or go through our website. You can do as little as a dollar a month or up to $10 a month, depending on how much you love us and how much you're willing and able to donate. So continue to stay safe, stay healthy, and tune in next week and get traveling.